Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are no longer studying the great Christian thinkers in history, huh? But the book of Revelation. This evening, we will begin an adventure, right? (laughs) Because to study the book of Revelation really is to embark upon an adventure. I mean, is there a book of the Bible more often discussed and yet less understood than the book of Revelation. I put it out there, what did you want me to spend time with? And the overwhelming consensus among all the subject matter that we have talked about and or could talk about uh, was the book of Revelation. Um, Now, my sense and intuition is that this has a lot to do with how we think about the end times, and hopefully by the end of this study, you'll have a deeper appreciation of what it means to say the end times and the apocalypse, and all of those phrases that we tie to the diabolical, right? Now, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers for you as it relates to the book of Revelation, but in saying that, what we are going to do is a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation that will allow us to get a deeper sense of what this book is all about. My dear friends, to some degree, this book is very much a cryptogram, but with the principles and tools that the church gives us, I think we can come to a clear understanding of what some of these verses are about that for so many of us seem impossible to interpret, right? So we will put into play all of those tools that the church gives us to better understand sacred scripture, and certainly we will get into those tools and what they are in of themselves as we move forward in our study. Now, before we get into any kind of introduction into this book, I just want to first say in a more general sense about Seeds of Truth Radio. I know that this programming has been about different themes from one day to the next and from one week to the next, but it is at your request that I am embarking upon this study on the book of Revelation from one day to the next, right? So tomorrow we are not going to be talking about Pope Francis, or Wednesday we are not going to be talking about mercy, and and Thursday we are not going to be talking about Scripture for Sunday. No, my friends, this is going to be on the book of Revelation. Now, let me say this. There is going to be a lot of spiritual reflection that will have us talking about so many different aspects of the Catholic faith, like we have been talking about it, right? So if it's apologetics, if it's theology of the body, I mean, how can you be talking about theology of the body out from the book of Revelation? Well, stay tuned, okay? If it's church history, we'll certainly have a lot of that. So we are going to be still talking about the many varied aspects of the Catholic faith. Our resources in principle will include uh, the Church Fathers and many commentaries. I am going to make a point to lean heavily into Michael Barber's work coming soon, Unlocking the Book of Revelation, the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture authored by Peter Williamson on the Book of Revelation, as well as Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper. Uh, The study will not be reduced to those three works, but certainly those three works will be an emphasis. Again, 
There will be church fathers. Uh, there will be my own reflections out from my own prayer. So by way of resources, those are going to be some of the things that we are drawing from. Okay, now about that adventure, the book of Revelation. Before we start on a verse-by-verse study, we do have to get into its authorship, its dating, and I'm not going to get entangled in this for weeks, right? But I do want to address it because it's very important to this work. We're probably going to spend at least three days talking about authorship, dating, themes, if you will, before we actually start with the verses themselves. Now, as it relates to authorship, who is this John? Some would say John the Apostle, others would say a second John, a John of unknown origin. Let me first say this, as I just mentioned the Church Fathers, the Church Fathers, those first great Christian teachers, right, tell us that John the Apostle wrote the book Revelation. Who are these Church Fathers? St. Justin, St. Irenaeus, St. Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tertullian, St. Hippolytus, St. Jerome, and others. And I believe St. Jerome to be very important, right, because he gives us the Latin Vulgate in 436. So in the teachings of the Church Fathers, we do see a consensus that, yes, in fact, it was St. John the Apostle who wrote this book. Now, why would people argue against that? Well, to some degree, it's a matter of style. They argue that Revelation is significantly different from the fourth gospel. Therefore, the same John could not have written it. The first scholar who made this case was the third century theologian Dionysius. Now, why is this problematic? Why is this inconclusive? Well, for one thing, authors often employ different styles when writing, right? Consider Carol Wojtyla. Before he became John Paul II, he wrote a story called The Jeweler's Shop. Many of you, if you have not read the book, saw the play. This work, <laughs> The Jeweler's Shop, is absolutely nothing like his encyclical Fides et Ratio, or Redemptoris Missio, or any of his papal documents. In point of fact, they are the opposite of something like The Jeweler's Shop. Both, of course, explore the faith, but from two very different genres. So that would be important to consider, right? No one concludes that just because they were two different styles, the jeweler's shop and an encyclical like Fides et Ratio, that they were written by, by different men. Likewise, if a journalist, while out in the field, wrote a love letter to his wife, we would certainly hope it would look nothing like a typical newspaper prose, right? So we have to be careful about getting caught up in this debate that, well, they're, they're nothing like in style. Remember, Dr. Hahn used to hammer this in the classroom, oh, now, gosh, almost 20 years ago. <laughs> so while style is important to appreciate a book, just because there's two different styles does not mean that there's two different authors. Now, if you needed evidence to support the similarities between the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation to just get a deeper sense that, yes, this was written by the apostle, consider that you have a lot of similar language between the two books. In John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14, we read Jesus as the Word. In Revelation 19, 13, we read Jesus as the Word. 
In John 1.29 and, and 1.36, we read Jesus as the Lamb of God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 6, 8, 12, and others, we read Jesus as what? The Lamb of God. In John chapter 4, verse 23, we read Christian worship as something done, quote, in the Spirit, unquote. We read the same thing in Revelation 1.10. In John 4, verse 14, salvation is given as the gift of living water. Does that sound familiar? Revelation 21.6. John 6, verses 48 to 50, Jesus is given to us as the true manna just as he is given to us as the true manna in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. And of course, as many of us are familiar with, we read of the mother of Jesus as the mother of all believers in John chapter 19, verses 26 to 27, as we do in Revelation 12, verse 17. We read of the very rich imagery we will talk about in great detail of the bridegroom and the bride in John chapter 3, verse 29, as we do in Revelation 19, 7. And chapter 21, verse 2. How about the call to love, not our lives, even unto death? In John 12, verse 25, and Revelation 12, verse 11. John chapter 12, verse 31, we read of Satan being cast out, just as we read of Satan being cast out in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The mother of Jesus is called woman in John 2, 4, as she is called woman in Revelation 12, 1. Jesus is the true temple in John chapter 2, verse 21, just as he is the true temple in Revelation 21, verse 22. Lastly, we read of Christ as the shepherd in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. We read of Christ as shepherd in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. So one can understand then why those who lived closest to John knew him not only as St. John the Evangelist, right, the gospel writer, but also St. John the Revelator, St. John the one who wrote the book of Revelation. Now, as I've already noted, some will still debate John as the author because of uh, dating. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Determining the date of the writing of the Apocalypse is of critical importance to interpreting huh, the book Revelation. Today, most hold that the book was written in the 90s during the reign of Emperor Domitian, who ruled from roughly 81 to 96. But a growing number of scholars, rightfully so, I believe, have come to the conclusion that it was written decades earlier, sometime before the destruction of the Jerusalem Temple in 70 AD. Those who espoused the view that the Apocalypse was written in the 60s during the reign of Nero, also have ancient evidence to support their hypotheses. For example, the Syriac version of the Book of Revelation begins by stating that it was written in Patmos, to which John was sent by Nero Caesar, who would have been the Nero in the 60s. Also, another Syriac work, the history of John the son of Zebedee, asserts that Nero exiled John. Isn't that interesting? A quick word about Nero, because it's certainly relevant to this study. Numerous writers from the period that he reigned document his unquenchable thirst for blood. 
we read from the Roman uh, writer Pliny, describing him as the destroyer of the human race, the, the poison of the world, the enemy of mankind. According to Tacitus, he put to death many innocent men. So, my friends, death and destruction followed Nero from his rise and to his fall. And it's really interesting to get into his story a little bit because he came from a family known for its cruelty, huh? Another Roman historian, Suetonius, tells us that Nero's father was hateful in every walk of life. At the age of 12, Nero sought the prosecution and ruin of his own brother and aunt. (laughs) Incredible. I mean, and consider this, his mother Agrippina schemed to advance him into high places of power, and as it is believed, she probably was the one who poisoned the previous emperor, uh, Claudius. I mean, my friends, Nero came from a brutal, brutal family, as he himself was brutal. When he came to power at the age of 17, he poisoned his own brother. He later had his mother killed, and he was also responsible for the deaths of his childhood tutors. He had his first wife exiled and beheaded. And while his second wife was pregnant with his son, he kicked her to death. I mean, this was a brutal, brutal man. And of course, you can only imagine that most of this was driven by his perverse sexual appetite, which is so well documented. Now, as it relates to uh, Nero and the Christians, in the year 68, a fire broke out in Rome And it was commonly believed that Nero himself set the fire. But as some of us might be familiar with this story, he blamed the Christians for the fire and launched the first major imperial persecution of the church. Saints Peter and Paul, in fact, were among those martyred during his persecution. In a chilling description, Tacitus relates how Nero amused himself with the torture of early believers. Listen to what Tacitus records. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when day had expired. Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle and was exhibiting a show in the circus. There arose a feeling of compassion for it was not, as it seemed, for the public good and that they were being destroyed. Mm. Wow. Nero would eventually commit suicide and (laughs) lamenting in his own self-pity as he's committing suicide, as it is recorded, he says, what an artist the world is losing. What an artist the world is losing. Now, my friends, As some would suggest that Domitian was the tyrant ultimately talked about in the book of Revelation, my dear friends, he failed to reach the levels of cruelty set by Nero. Since scholars agree that Revelation was written during a time of persecution, and since there are questions about Domitian's actions, the evidence indicates that the book of Revelation was likely written during the Neronic period. That is the period that was under the emperor Nero. Now, another source for determining which tyrant was responsible for banishing John 
is in the very text of the book of Revelation, actually. Exploration of the internal data of the document helps us best set the date of Revelation during Nero's reign. For example, if you were to go to chapter 17, we read about seven hills, which symbolized seven kings. If you were to turn to the book of Revelation, and, and hopefully you have your book of Revelation out, if you were to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verses 9 to 10, we read, The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet to come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. Now, the seven hills clearly refer to Rome, which was built on seven hills. The seven kings likely refer to seven Roman emperors. Now, Josephus, Suetonius, and other ancient historians list the seven emperors as follows. Julius Caesar from 46 to 44, Augustus from 27 BC to 14 AD, Tiberius from 14 to 37 AD, Gaius Caesar, otherwise known as Caligula, from 37 to 41 AD, Claudius from 41 to 54, Nero from 54 to 68, and Galba from 68 to 69. Now, in light of this list that is provided for us from the historians like that of Josephus and Suetonius, we can infer that Nero was reigning at the time the book of Revelation was written. And certainly within this list, then Galba, who only lasted for a couple years, was the emperor who was reigning for only, quote-unquote, a little while. Now, another possible indication that the book of Revelation was written in Nero's time is the number of the beast, uh, the infamous 666. Just as the Romans used letters for numbers, i.e. Uh, the V for 5, the X for 10, the Israelites used the Hebrew alphabet for numbers. When the Greek form of the name Nero Caesar is transliterated into Hebrew and converted into numerals, it adds up to what? 666. I'm going to speak in much more detail to what this 666 represents for all of us when we get there in the book of Revelation. Now, there is another compelling argument for the early dating of the book of Revelation that can be found again in reading the text. The sacred writer conveys a sense of urgency, giving a clear message that Jesus is, quote-unquote, coming soon. St. John writes in chapter 1, verse 1, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants what must soon take place." Revelation 1, 3, "...the time is near." Revelation 22, verse 6 to 7, the Lord has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Revelation 22.10, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And of course, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. And yet, we still await the second coming 2,000 years later. I mean, was Jesus wrong? Think about it, my friends. Did God lose track of time when he was supposed to come again, fulfilling this great prophecy? The answer to this question is key to understanding the whole book of Revelation. 
and will help us understand when this book was written and why. Like I said earlier, dating is important because of the content of the book and to dismiss the significance of not only the date, but also uh, the author is John the Apostle, I believe is to dismiss something very important in relationship to this book, <laughs> the book of Revelation. My dear friends, by way of closing thought, as we in this introduction are going through authorship, uh, dating, and the significance of it, it's very important for us to enter into the mind of the author, okay? Because if we can't do that, then we can't fully grasp what any book in the Bible means, let alone Revelation. We are going to talk about this in much more detail tomorrow, but if we don't engage Scripture within this context of the literal sense, which includes the historical context, then we will fail in our interpretation of Scripture. Let us think of it this way. As many of you know, I have a Carmelite cloistered nun who's a sister. So as I like to say, I have a sister who's a sister. She writes to me many beautiful letters, and I have saved every single letter. Now, suppose I decided to take these letters, put them in a treasure chest, and bury them somewhere in my backyard. And 500 years from now, someone is digging up their backyard to put a pool in the backyard, and they discover this treasure. They open up this treasure to find all these letters, and they begin to read these letters. Now, I would venture to guess that any one of Christian ilk would read these letters and be moved by these letters, be inspired by these letters. But could they fully appreciate these letters for what they were all about? My answer would be to you a resounding no. While it might inspire them, for them to fully appreciate what those letters were all about, they would have to dig into their history books and appreciate what was going on at the turn of the third millennium. I'm even thinking about the most recent letter my sister wrote me in relationship to this current election cycle. They would most definitely have to get to know what was going on during 2016 because much of the context of that letter, albeit inspiring, deals with the historical context of, well, 2016. So in a similar way, while we might be inspired by sacred scripture, we have to dig into our history books so as to appreciate all of the cultural milieu that is influencing the author of the Bible, okay? Yes, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic. Yes, the book of Revelation is very prophetic. My dear friends, it is influenced by the very time that it was written. Sacred scripture is always about the letter and the spirit, what is human and what is divine, what is historical in time, and at the same time, what is transcendent as it is inspired by God. So that would be one analogy. You can also think of it another way. Maybe you are a zoologist and you've just been given an animal to take care of. If you are going to take care of this animal to the best of your ability, what are you probably going to have to do? You're probably going to have to go into the original habitat, if you will, of that animal, where that animal came from, what it likes to eat, what it doesn't like to eat, what kind of 
environment is it used to living in? So all those things you have to think about. Again, in a similar way, sacred scripture has an original habitat, okay? The Gospel of Matthew was written to a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience that was steeped in the Old Testament. That influences his writing. He's writing to our particular audience in time. The book of Revelation is the same. And so we need to be attentive to reading sacred scripture within the literal sense. It is foundational. It doesn't undermine the spiritual sense, okay? The literal sense, again, mindful of its historical context, and the spiritual sense are mutually illuminating. And certainly, these are principles and tools that will be applied throughout our study on the book Revelation. All right. Again, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, observations about what we are talking about here on Seeds of Truth as it relates to the book of Revelation, please do not hesitate to email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. I welcome the dialogue. As you've heard me say before, dialogues are always better than monologues. So my hope is here on the radio that my monologue leads to a dialogue. And that being said, and just as a, a, oh, by the way, I will have guests from time to time. I know for those of you who are faithful listeners, you are accustomed to certain guests during certain programs. And be assured, I will continue to invite the likes of John O'Hara, Deborah Rizals, and others to join me in conversation and reflection into the book of Revelation so that, uh, indeed, the radio program itself is just not a monologue, but a dialogue. Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a thanks and praise for the opportunity we have to reflect into sacred scripture, the richness of this great book, the book of Revelation. We ask that you open both our minds and our hearts as we continue to just not read study, but also pray the book of Revelation. You have given us the Word of God so as to draw deeper into your sacred mystery, and there is no question about it that the book of Revelation is an invitation into mystery. So we open up our hearts and our minds as we continue to read through, study, and pray through this most beautiful work. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.